to Pastor's Prophecy Hour, your midweek installment of the Greater Life Church podcast. I'm Landon, and I'm here again with Pastor Andrew, talking about this podcast and this episode in particular. You know, I just learned that there are hundreds of people enjoying this podcast, and so everybody listening, share this with your friends. The information we're going to share and that we've already shared is so important for the world today. That's right. Now, what are we going to be talking about in this episode? In this episode, the title is These Things in These Times. So we're going to go back to Matthew 24 again and learn some things that are happening in current events. And also, again, what are these things leading to? And then we're going to go through some theology discussion. What would that be? Well, there's two major stances in theology called the covenantal theology and dispensationalism. On the one hand, we're going to learn what they believe and why most of the things in prophecy are more symbolic. On the other hand, it takes a more literal approach. And so we're going to discover what we really believe here at Pastor's Prophecy Hour and what I believe the scripture is pretty clear about. It's going to be a fun one. All right, let's get into it. Thanks. I got me a pointer this week. Mike Morgan bought me one. There's Mike right back there. This, you shouldn't have got me this. Because now, if any of y'all fall asleep, I'm going to shoot your eyes out. Matthew chapter 24 is where we're going to start. Just as soon as, man, I'm telling you, I feel like I'm moving on to other topics and other things. And I just keep getting pulled back because... The world is cray-cray, right? Yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen or oh me. Okay. Matthew chapter 24, the fig tree prophecy. Our topic of the night specifically is these things and these times. So we're going to talk about these things that are found in Matthew chapter 24, and then we're going to get into these times. And what does that mean? What time are we living in right now? Now, Matthew chapter 24, beninging, beninging, beninging. Has anybody seen that video? The guy reading, been in the beninging. Okay. Beginning in verse 4, Jesus told them. Should we pay attention when Jesus is telling us something? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And we've already been down this road with talking about people that have claimed to be the Messiah, people like John of God, who Oprah Winfrey absolutely fell in love with and went over to Brazil and hung out with him. And then you've got um, the Messiah. Do you know about where drinking the Kool-Aid comes from? There was a cult, and they literally drank Kool-Aid and did a suicide pact. There was another claim there to be the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying that many will come. Now, believe it or not, in the early days, uh, or right after Jesus, there were several that kind of rose and fell. And even the Pharisees, when they talked about Jesus, said, well, listen, we've had many that, would, that rose and, and nothing came of it, just leave them alone, because there were false messiahs then as well. So we've already been down that road, we won't take much time on that. Verse 6 says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Which, guys, can I just be honest? That is the exact opposite of what happens. We will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and we watch the news and go, oh, this is it. 
<laughs> you know, and as a believer, you're like, this is it. This is happening. The rapture's about to occur. Let me get ready, right? In, in youth group, we used to have a thing called rapture practice. <laughs> and our youth pastor, Randy Briscoe, which was my youth pastor, Randy Briscoe, I'd like to see him do that in greater years, you know, just rapture. <laughs> so anyway, here's what rapture practice did. Rapture practice, we'd be sitting in our seats, and really he'd do it when we were being bad or bored or talking or whatever. Rapture practice, we'd all go, praise the Lord, and sit back down. So here's my version of what he would do in greater years. Rapture practice. <laughs> I want him to do it. I'm going to try to make him do it. See, I could say that tonight because the greater years happens at 11, so there's no greater years here tonight. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Look at the hands go up. Oh, gosh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mom. You're going to pick a switch, and then you're going to stand there and take it. Anyway. <laughs> you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Can I tell you, talk to you, believer, Christian, stop it. Stop sharing it and panicking and saying, this is, you know, relax. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Here's some numbers for you. Over the past 3,400 years, humans have been entirely at peace for 268 of them. It's not a good record. Or just 8% of recorded history. At least 108 million people were killed in the wars in the 20th century alone. Estimates for the total number of people killed in all the wars throughout recorded human history range from 150 million to 1 billion. I think it's probably closer to 1 billion. What do you think? That was a study in 2003, which means the most recent wars weren't in that uh, tally. Verse 7 of Matthew 24. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Verse 9, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. I've got some uh, graphics here that we'll put up. Persecutions, historically speaking, each month. 322 Christians are killed for their faith each month. See here, 322 Christians are. <laughs> Did I mention that Mike bought me this, and he's in the booth right there. So if anybody wants to talk to him after for buying me this. Okay, each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed, and a lot of times by the government themselves. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, such as beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and forced marriages. This is each month. Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments and from their neighbors because of their faith. At least 7,100 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons in 2015 up from 4,344 in just one year. The top 10 countries Christians face persecution, North Korea, 
Somalia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Yemen, and Eritrea. Middle East Christians' persecution statistics are on a whole nother level. In 20, by 2013, 450,000 Syrian Christians have fled their homes during the two years of war and persecution. 200 Afghan, Afghan Christians were martyred by, in 2000 by uh, the Taliban. 100 Saudi Christians were martyred in the year 2000. This is things that are still happening in our world today. In Africa, there are 800,000 Christians that were targeted for their faith and martyred in the Democratic Republic of Congo between 1998 and 2007. Roughly 50,000 Christians were martyred in North and South Sudan, violence that just ended a few years ago, about 17, 18 years ago. By January 2017, Boko Haram was said to destroy more than 900 northeastern Nigeria churches. Asian persecution statistics say 700,000 Christians were killed in North Korean prison camps by, between 1948 and 1987. And of course, those numbers are hard to get and probably much more inflated than that. 3,000 Christians were killed in China in, in the year from 2000 to 2007. By the year 2000, roughly 10,000 ethnic minority Burmese Christians were targeted and killed by the armed forces in Myanmar. In India, 361 reported attacks against Christians in 2016, more than double what it was the year before. There are attacks on churches in India every 40 hours. I read all that to reaffirm or to remind us, number one, how blessed we are right? We really don't know what persecution is here in the United States. Number two, for us to be in prayer for those that are suffering, but verse nine says it, and Jesus said it, that we will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. We will be hated all over the world because we are followers of Jesus. Verse 10 says, many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. We've talked about this before, the end times idea that there is some kind of a great revival that happens before the rapture of the church and before the great tribulation. The scriptures tell us the opposite of that. The revival happens during the great tribulation. There is a great falling away before the rapture of the church and the great tribulation. And that's what Jesus is saying, that many will turn away. The great falling away is a sign that the end is almost come. The people that do not have faith that will last or a faith that is rooted will find themselves falling away. And we've talked about this before, the, the, the staggering statistics of what COVID-19 has done to the American church. Our church is the exception, not the rule. Many have closed their doors because... It had truly become something that I just do every week because I've always done it every week. Had nothing to do with my depth and my, my faith and my relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to draw your attention to the idea that they will betray and hate each other. In 2008, there was a report that came out that said more than 19,000 congregations experience major conflict every year. This is not the color of the carpet. This is major. 25% of the churches in one survey reported conflict in the pre previous five years that was serious enough to have a lasting impact on the life of the congregation. Only 2% of church conflict involves doctrinal issues. 
color of the carpet type stuff. Crazy, right? Backbiting, gossip, division. 98% of church conflict involves interpersonal issues. Control issues ranked as the most common cause of conflict, 85%. 40% of church members who left their church do so because of conflict. Makes sense. A very small number, 16%, of churches report positive outcomes from conflict overall. The conflict on pastors works out like this. Can't get y'all to laugh at nothing out here. No, I'm just kidding. It's also reflected in the life of the pastor. The average pastoral career now is only 14 years, less than half of what it was not long ago. How many years have I been doing this? I got four left. Fifteen <laughs> pastors leave their assignments every month in the United States because of conflict, burnout, or moral failure. 45% of the pastors terminated in one denomination left the ministry altogether. 34% of pastors presently serve congregations that forced the previous pastor to resign. Red flag! <laughs> we like you better than the last guy. <laughs> There's a real problem. Church splits are probably one of the most common problems that we see here in the United States of America that there is some type of a, a, a misunderstanding that if we will take the, the people that we like and go somewhere else, then God will bless it. That, that hardly ever happens. Now, I certainly understand that there is a time where God may call you to move on or call you to go and serve in another place or, or, or be involved in another ministry, certainly. But my first position out of ministry was at a church that was a church split from another church. And can I tell you, even though they had been 25 years past the church split, it was a disease that was still present. Because it was birthed out of rebellion. The people there had no clue. But the birth out of rebellion is the reason that it still suffered the way that it did in some ways. Conversely, Greater life is, whether you know this or not, is the result of, I think we're up to seven other churches that have merged together over the years to be a part of greater life. So it are these different churches and ministries and pastors that came in and said, we want to be a part of this ministry, and, and many of them are on staff and, and serving more people than they ever were able to serve before. And I think it's kind of a, it's a pattern that I'm thankful for but it's a pattern of restoration, of reconciliation, of like-minded, like-hearted, that we can do greater things together than we can do apart from one another. Amen? Amen? Verse 11 says, And many false prophets, in verse 24, will appear and deceive many people. The most recent example of this, false prophets, deception, is I have here just a few bits of information from a recent article about Disney. So if you've been paying attention or you've heard, Disney has gone quote-unquote woke. Um, and there's always been, I remember, <laughs> I remember back when the bee in Aladdin would say, take off your clothes in the ear of Jasmine. Do y'all remember that one? No? Y'all go back and watch it. The bee goes, take off your clothes. <laughs> 
to Jasmine on the porch. Anyway, uh, in the Lion King, the stars that go up, the little flowers that go up, they say sex. By the way, I had graphics that I could use tonight and I decided against that. I ain't turning that on the screen. It won't take you that long to find out that Disney's been up to something for quite some time. But now, in its most recent move, which really was a reaction to a bill that was released in Florida called the Parental Rights in Education, which was dubbed Don't Say Gay Bill, but basically was saying keep, keep the teaching of sex and transgenderism and the gay agenda out of the classroom up to third grade. That, that's the only thing that's like up to third grade, which is nine years old, eight, nine years old. And so the entire state is up in arms about this. And then they say, Disney, you should do something about it. And this is, what, this is their response. They had an all-hands-on-deck meeting, and the Disney diversity and inclusion manager named Vivian Ware said that the company will no longer refer to children at theme parks as ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls. And goes on to say, just, just, assume, just to assume uh, that because someone might be, in our interpretation, maybe presenting <laughs> as female, that they may not want to be called princess. Where even it goes on to say addressing children and says that recordings will now say dreamers of all ages. All of this stuff is online. You can see these video clips of Disney executives saying these things. Disney, Disney corporate pres, president Carrie Burke says she is the mother of a transgender child and a pansexual child and says that she, she supports having many, many, many that long LGBTQ thing characters in the stories in Disney stories they have made a commitment that programming commits to a minimum of 50% of characters to be in some way LGBTQ or minority the team Alan March says who's a production coordinator says that they are committed to exploring queer stories and they've created a tracker to make sure that they are creating enough gender non-conforming characters, canonical trans characters, and canonical bisexual characters. What does that mean? That means that the heroes of the stories of the Disney movies that will be coming could be, will be, up to 50% transgender, bisexual, or in some way, shape, or form, sexually identified as part of the queer community. That means when they put a movie out of a Lilo and Stitch that that little nine-year-old girl who's surfing is going in some way shape or form in the movie identify herself as either gay or bisexual you understand what I'm saying right this is Disney's commitment executive producer Latoya Ravenu says her team has implemented a not at all secret gay agenda by regularly adding queerness to children's programming it's already on there. They're already releasing it in preschool program. As of last week, 350,000 people have unsubscribed from the Disney Plus service. Am I telling you to do the same? You decide. I'm just saying that what Jesus said, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Many people 
are deceived. Verse 12, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. We have a great falling away. We have sin being rampant everywhere. We have the love of many growing cold. We have all the deception happening. And then we have good news that's preached throughout the world so all the nations can hear it. And then the end will come. Verse 15, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. The sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy, pay, holy place. Now, I want to get into this thing. Let's put, that, let's put that up. We are going to make it, I think, through the, under the scroll. We're not going to go through the image of Daniel. We might could circle back to that later on. But let's start with this right here. You see here, Ezekiel, we've got Israel, the captivity of 70 years. Let's start there. Now, this timeline is a prophecy timeline. It's revelation, but it's all these things added together, and it carries us all the way to the end. But it starts, it starts in the Old Testament with what the prophet Ezekiel says. Verse 22 says in Ezekiel 11, then the cherubim lifted their wings and rose into the air and the wheels beside them and the glory of God of Israel hovered above them. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the city and stopped above the mountains to the east. Afterward, the Spirit of God carried me back to Babylonia and the peoples to the people in exile there. And so ended the vision of my visit to Jerusalem. I told the exiles everything the Lord had shown me. Verse 23 talks about the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. The glory of the Lord leaving the temple, and it's in the midst of the captivity of 70 years. Jeremiah 25, 12. Then after the 70 years of captivity are over, I will punish the king of Babylon and his people for their sins. Says the Lord, I will make the country of the Babylonians a wasteland forever. Did you know Babylon is modern day Iran? Now, we find the days of Daniel being mentioned here. And for the sake of our discussion tonight, I'd like to talk a little bit about a math. Don't worry. A little bit about math. I get confused too. Let me get my paper here. I can see it better. So Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. Remember the last thing Jesus said is the day is coming when you will see Dan what Daniel the prophet spoke about, okay? Verse 20, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, pleading with the Lord for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, who I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come to give you insight, understanding the moment you were being begin praying as the command was given. And I'm now here to tell you, what it was for you're very precious to God listen carefully and you can understand the meaning of our vision are you ready everybody take a pen out do the math 
A period of 77s of seven has been decreed of your people, the holy city, to finish their rebellion, to put at the end of their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus six, two sets of seven will pass from time of command and given to re rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, the anointed one, comes to Jerusalem rebuilt with the streets, strong defenses despite the perilous time. All right, what number did y'all come up with? <laughs> 973. Pretty good. See it right there? 490. Ah, oh, man, you guys. Right here. See the little doolally right there? The math is done for you. Aren't you thankful for that? People much smarter than me and you have worked this thing out, and it is to the letter the prophecy that unfolds in these periods of seven so you have seven weeks which is periods of years the 70 weeks of daniel seven weeks being the 49 years plus 434 years equaling 483 years which means what's left how many years minus 490 is left seven more years which is the rest of the screen and that's where we are today. Now, below you see these beasts, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then you see Rome. Now tonight, without really going into seals and all that kind of stuff, I want to talk to you about the church age, or at least what we believe in these times these times next week styles is going to come and talk to you about the the letters to the seven churches so i want to get you to the church age so he could talk to you about that there is two different views of scripture time wise there's something called covenant theology and then there's something called dispensationalism and they are on opposing sides of the idea now hold on let me get my papers in order okay covenant theology most simply put believes that the church replaced israel so if you have someone that adheres to covenant theology they believe that the church has replaced israel and in order to make that work, they must analogize Scripture. In other words, when Exodus talks about the temple and the tabernacle, and details are given about the spoons that go in the tabernacle, the covenant theologist must make an analogy of what the spoon means to the church. Dispensationalists, however believe that the spoon is a spoon here's where this is important it certainly makes it complicated in the old testament but a covenant theologist takes the entire book of revelation and chalks it up to symbols and analogies about only spiritual matters 
So everything that we see that has to do with world governments and the Antichrist and all of these things that actually have specifics, it's chalked up to a spiritual nature or a spiritual analogy. Covenant theologists are primarily preterists. In other words, they believe that everything that needed to happen in prophecy has already taken place in A.D. 70. Here's what happened in A.D. 70. A.D. 70 was a very important time in human history and also in the history of the church and the Roman government. The events in A.D. 70 was the destruction of the temple by the Romans. There was a great battle. There was a great um, catastrophe there. And in times, believers that are preterists believe that everything that needed to happen just happened there. They think, I think it was Nero at the time. Was it Nero Styles? Nero was the Antichrist. And they've done the math to make his name be 666 and stuff like that. And I think I mentioned last week that they've been able to do that for other leaders, world leaders, and uh, maybe even your name if you've done by a numerologist. Could, anyway, don't do it. But at the end of the day, they were able to attach this number to this man and say, that's the Antichrist, that's what happened then, and everything has already taken place that needs to take place. Which means that we're in the kingdom of God right now. Did you hear about Disney? <laughs> Do you see how ridiculous this is becoming? But at the end of the day, there was a time where it made a, at least a little more sense because our world was even a little bit more wholesome. I guess what it boils down to is the world has already always been messed up. But people had the sense to keep that behind closed doors. You remember the gay agenda was stay out of our bedroom? Remember? It was in the 80s. Don't tell us what we can do in our bedroom. Stay out of our bedroom. You, you, you bigots, the Christian bigots, stay out of our bedroom. Remember that? Well, now it's let us bring our bedroom to the kindergarten class. It, it's, it's crazy. And, and, and the conspiracy theorists would walk around and say, they're going to try to teach this to our children. Oh, you're crazy. Stay out of our bedroom. What is happening? Right? Right before our very eyes. Back to A.D. 70, if it's a covenant theologist, then they believe that all these things have already taken place, and it's really a significant, it used to be a significant debate. It's not as much. These are preterists are, are harder to come by. Covenant theologists have adapted their um, beliefs and their convictions to now call themselves new covenant theologists, which said, okay, we're not in the kingdom of God yet, but we still believe most of what had to happen happened in A.D. 70, and so they've made adjustments along the way. And I ain't mad at anybody. I, I'm constantly studying the Word of God and discovering new things. Virtually all Christian interpretations of biblical prophecy agree that several prophecies were fulfilled in that A.D. 70 time period, but the difference is how much is left to continue to take place. The debate is whether the additional prophecies found in Daniel 9, Matthew 24, 25, and Revelation 6 through 18 were already fulfilled or are still to be fulfilled in the future. Now, let's talk about covenant theology, at least from just a this is what they believe kind of standpoint for, your, for the sake of just knowing. 
You can take notes if you want to, but whatever. They believe that there is six different covenants that were lived under. The Adamic covenant, which was between God and Adam. The Noahic covenant, which was between God and who? You guys are awesome. There's another one called the Abrahamic covenant. This is going to be harder as we go along. It was between God and Abraham. Abram or Abraham, yeah, depending. <laughs> it was probably started out as Abram, I imagine. And then there was another one. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. It was between God and a man named Moses, and that's when the law came in. Now, this one's going to be really hard. It's the Davidic Covenant. Davidic, I know it's a difficult word. It was between God and David. You guys are theologians to be respected for sure. And this is the one they added, the New Covenant, which is between Christ in the church. Now, there are some famous covenantalists. I know that's a cool word. John Calvin. R.C. Sproul. R.C. Anybody ever listen to R.C. Sproul? I, I, I mean, I love his teaching, but stay away from the end time stuff. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards. You know who Jonathan Edwards is? The preacher that began the Great Awakening. Preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. It is said that he stood in one spot and read his sermon. And people in the room hung onto the walls and the pillars of the church because they felt like they were slipping down into hell. Yeah, it was that powerful what he, what he preached. Then dispensationalism. Quiz. Maybe you figured it out by now. What are we? We are dispensationalists. Dispensationalism... The best way to break it down is there were dispensations or time periods throughout the scriptures of the way God dealt with us. Each dispensation had a set of rules that was to be followed, a, a, a structure of which God was to be worshipped or the rules of, of worship. And each dispensation ended when the rules were broken understand or when God created another made another dispensation number one was the dispensation of innocence we really don't know how long Adam lived in the garden with Eve the story is like fast like then there was Adam and then there was Eve and Adam was like yes this is flesh of my flesh bone of my bone you look good and then they, they were in the garden living together. They walk in the evening with God every night. It didn't say they walked with, with God in the evening for several years or several days. It didn't say any of that. I've always read that narrative as like, okay, this happened, and then the next day Eve was created. Then the next day Eve went and ate the apple, which it wasn't an apple. It was just the fruit, right? And then Eve brought it to Adam, which, by the way, Adam was right there. So, so remember the context that I know this is pastor's prophecy hour, but I've always been a little aggravated with the idea that Eve went and snuck off and, and ate of the tree and then, and then said, hey, Adam, check it out. It, this is how it happened. Eve is here talking and the servant, the serpent is right here and saying, eat this. And they're having this conversation. And Adam, Adam's leaning up against the tree like this. Not, hey, who are you talking to? You shouldn't do that. Eve, come over here. You see what I'm saying? Adam, you know, we're mad at Eve, but Adam, come on. And then Adam says, well, God, 
the woman you gave me. I, I didn't, I was just over here. I am so off topic. Talk about end times, not beginning of time. Okay. The dispensation of innocence, which speaks of before the sin of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See how the set of rules was you can eat of any tree of the garden, populate the earth, so on and so forth. Be a steward of everything that I've given you. Just don't do this. Hey, let's do this. Then they do that and the rules change. A different dispensation comes called the dispensation of conscience. That men, is, men are now held to account. It lasted about 1,600 years. Men now know the difference between good and evil. And they're held to account for that. Now, the rules during this time was for them to operate in their conscience to live in a righteous way before God. There was no quote-unquote accepting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior because Christ had not come. Many times we get stuck on this idea of how were the Old Testament people saved or not. Can I tell you the thing that's going to change your life? Let God decide. Because I don't know how many times I've got caught up with someone that says, well, what about the people that never got to meet Jesus before, before the flood? What about the people that are just sitting in their, in their living room and the flood happened and they didn't even know Noah was building a boat? I don't know. Ask God later. The dispensation of conscience. We also have to understand that during these different time periods, the level of expectation that God gave humanity was very reasonable, right? He's a merciful, gracious God. It's not like God was angry through the whole Old Testament and now I'm graceful. Now I'm merciful, right? He was, God doesn't change. But the way he interacts with people in these dispensations had to. The third one, this carried us all the way to the flood of Noah, was the dispensation of human government. Human government lasted about 325 years, and that carried them all the way to Babylon, the Tower of Babel, in which God had to uh, change and confuse their languages, which brought us to the fourth dispensation called promise. This lasted about 430 years. This dispensation started with the call of Abraham, and it included the patriarchs, the bondage of Egypt, and the Jews that fled from Egypt were officially created as a nation, and that's when this dispensation was over. And at Mount Sinai, the dispensation of law began. Up to this point, there was an expectation from God that your conscience would still lead you, that there was good, there was bad, and you would know internally which one was which. Does that make sense? So right now, we have, the, we have the thankfully the blessing of the Holy Spirit being our guide and helping us, convicting us when we're doing something we're not. Then God himself, the conscious, he placed that internally into humanity. When you feel bad about something, don't do it. But humanity kept rebelling, 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 rebelling. Now you find yourself in the dispensation of the law and God had to create this plan of salvation which he knew was he was going to have from the beginning of time, even before the world was created, right? 
This is when he chose Israel, you are mine, when he had this covenant with Abraham and he gave them the law. Let me get past the conscience thing, God said, and give you some more specifics. Because the conscience thing wasn't working. So God changes the rule, the rules at every dispensation, you see? And makes it a little bit more clear, a little bit more, I guess I would say, specific on this is what you do to be in good standing with me, the God of heaven and earth. Number six was the dispensation of grace. The dispensation of the law took us all the way to Jesus, the cross and the resurrection and then we see the dispensation of grace that begins after Jesus dies, raises again, and is taken up to heaven, which we find ourselves, put that back up on the screen, we find ourselves in that dispensation with the bubble, the grace of God. We are in that age. After the day of Pentecost, after the fall of Rome, which, you know, not to go down a conspiracy rabbit trail. The Roman government that was established during Jesus' time upon the earth and before that is not the Roman government today. What is it? It's the Catholic Church. That's, that's the Roman that's where it keeps going, right? So it's, it's not a secular government. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual government. Now, that may, make, that may make, if I was in a Catholic church, I think that upset some people. But at the end of the day, think of the Catholic church. It does not function. It does not function like a church, the way we understand it. It functions like a government. Even the Vatican is its own governmental entity has its own laws its own police its own structure its own leaders the united states government any other government can't come in the vatican without without authority and permission from that government so it doesn't function as a church it functions as a government and that is rome and the leader of that government is the pope now you really want to go down a rabbit trail with me we ain't got time. I got like six minutes. We won't, what we won't talk about is the black pope. What we won't talk about is the Jesuit priesthood. We won't talk about any of that. Anyway, let's get up back up here. We are in the church age. How many of you guys know the things you know, the things you see? There's about 20 layers beyond that that you don't know that you don't see. You with me? Y'all know that by now, right? I, I know stuff now that I can't tell you. I can't tell you too much you know what and even in scripture we see this uh, the angel that told Daniel we see even John being told hey don't say this part don't reveal what the voice says don't don't reveal what this says right because there's some stuff that we've got to be ready to receive don't come up to me after this and say hey what were you talking about I might tell you, I might not. No, but in all seriousness, there's all kinds of information coming out because, guys, we are getting close to seeing Jesus return. 
That's the thing that excites me. Every time I learn about something that's crazy, wacky, evil, it's one day closer to the return of Jesus. Amen? And that is, what, what did the scripture say at the beginning of all this? That we are not to panic. We are, sub, we are to be the referees on the court. The calmest people in the room. Amen? All right, what was I talking about? The seventh dispensation is the millennial reign of Christ. Way over here. That's on the backside of the tribulation. And then I'll close with this thought. The reason why it's important that we're dispensationalists is because we have got to go into this knowing that we are in a dispensation, a real time period, that the things we're going to look at together, they're not symbolic, they're not allegorical, they're very real, and they're going to happen. And it is our belief and it is my conviction that it, I, am, I am believing and thanking God and looking forward to the rapture of the church and whatever happens here on earth is going to happen and we should be informed. But remember what we talked about Sunday. Even though your response to Jesus may be initially out of fear, I don't want to go to hell. That's okay. For, for far too long we were saying, don't, go, don't come to Christ just because you're scared of hell. I'm telling you, come to Christ no matter what it takes. Be scared, come to Christ. Be happy, come to Christ. Just make it right with the Lord Jesus, right? We may obey the king. We may receive salvation out of, okay, I really don't want to be here for seven years during all this. I ain't doing that. So I'm going to go ahead and, and, you know, you have people that make the decision that, that my belief in Jesus or my belief in God, if I'm wrong, who cares? But if you're wrong, Right? then eternity in hell is a, is a big price to pay. And so at the end of the day, we want to study these things. We want to be informed, not for the sake of going through it. I don't believe we will. But I've watched enough rapture movies. Y'all have all seen, what's the first scene in the rapture movies? The rapture happens. And the people left behind, there's a couple of them that heard about this stuff at some point down the line, and they end up where? They go to church. As soon as the rapture happens, they go to church. And the last one I saw, and this is, this is not going to be great life, I can guarantee I can guarantee you that. The last one I saw, the pastor was actually there in his office. <laughs> and the guy, the guy knocking on the door, hey, pastor. What are you doing here? What do you mean, what am I doing here? Man, this just happened and what? And they're crying and hugging and they end up living in the woods and trying to survive. Anyway, I guarantee you don't come here because we'll be closed for business. I'm going to be gone. Gone. For all y'all people listening to this on podcast, call Great Life Church and get it right. Amen. We broke 800 last week with podcast listeners. There are people eating this stuff up, and uh, we're excited. I believe that this is something that will draw people to Jesus. Amen. 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 Uh, let's, uh, let's go to prayer together.
Lord, thank you for the opportunity we've had to laugh a little bit, but more than that, to learn more about the way we need to look at the end times and the way we need to look at Scripture. God, I pray. I pray that everybody in this room and everybody that hears my voice, that they would find themselves in a relationship with you, that they would be the ones, as the Scripture says, that would endure to the end and walk into glory. Lord, to be called good and faithful servants. Lord, we give you the rest of this week, and I pray that your anointing and that your favor would follow us around like a faithful friend. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to Pastor's Prophecy Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more from Greater Life Church, including our Sunday morning services, go to our website, greaterlife.church.